are entering the Freedom Hut. It was Fox News with the Socialists last night, a town hall where we got to hear all about Bernie Sanders' vision for America. It involves a whole lot of spending and a whole lot more government. We'll tear that nonsense apart and then discuss the latest on what happened at Notre Dame Cathedral and also is the radical left running the Democratic Party now? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Healthcare is not free. You never heard of it. suggests that we're going to march. You just said it was going to be free for everyone. It's going to be free at the point of when you use it. Okay? Family of four. Do you know how much that family is paying today for health care? $28,000 a year. Okay. All right, we're spending $11,000 per person. We are saying to that family of four, you ain't going to pay that $28,000. You're not paying any more premiums. You're not paying any more co-payments. You're not paying any more deductibles. How's that? $28,000 you are not paying. But does that mean you're not going to pay something? Of course it does. You're going to pay more in taxes. You're going to pay more in taxes, all right. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Bernie Sanders on Fox News last night talking about how everything will be free and amazing and awesome as long as we can tax you into oblivion. Oh, my. Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. Where where to begin? I, I would note that his math, he said, unless I missed, I might have missed it, $28,000 for a family of four on premiums, $11,000 a person. I'm pretty sure 11,000 times four is 44,000, but he said 28. Where are my fact checkers on this one? How many Pinocchios should he get for this? He deserves a few, I think, on that one. His math was a little off, but nonetheless, even if his math is correct, I don't even care. The math is the problem for him in the long term. The numbers won't add up. Bernie is... Now the front of the Democrat pack of nominee of nominees, and it's because he spreads a message of class warfare and free stuff and the rich will pay. I mean, he is a socialist. He is a socialist. They can say, oh, you have to put Democratic in front of that. He is a socialist. The state gets to determine what you have, what is fair for you to have and how much is given to other people. The state should be the one writing the checks for health care as if there won't be any problem with removing the market almost in its entirety from the healthcare uh, from the healthcare system. There won't be scarcity. There won't be shortages. Of course there will. There are in these other countries that Bernie holds up as doing such a great job all the time. But at least he was willing to speak on Fox News. What a bunch of wimps the rest of Democrats in this presidential contest so far, and, and the, the DNC in particular, it's just so cowardly and such a, a, a bad look for them to be unwilling to go on Fox News at all. Why? Because you might get asked a question that's not, how does it feel to be so amazing? They might ask you a question about policy. Beto might have to say something other than, I just want you to open your heart. Thanks, Beto. My heart's open. Because maybe they'll ask Bernie Sanders about his own taxes and whether he leads by example. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Bernie is, is trying to redefine in real time what democratic socialism 
is. And I think that we should at least confront him on this fable that democratic socialism is just going to be awesomeness for everybody at a at a minimum. Even if he thinks that on on balance, it's better for us. He has to accept the trade offs and the trade offs will be massive. He says there'll be higher taxes. It's not a little bit higher taxes, folks. A Medicare for all program that would be even close to paid for based on the single payer systems that exist in places in Europe, you're going to have the middle class paying 60% of their income in taxes. And you might even add a value added tax of VAT on top of that. But Bernie just wants you to, to think that this is going to be all magic candy land and fairy dust. Play clip nine. Democratic socialism to me is creating a government and an economy and a society which works for all rather than just the top 1%. It means ending the absurd inequalities that exist today. And we want to create a political system which is based on one person, one vote, not billionaires buying elections. Billionaires. And Bernie's a millionaire, as we know. Bernie's very rich. Bernie's in the 1%. But this billionaires buying election talking point, you know, if it were that easy, why doesn't Bloomberg just write the check right now? If it were that easy, shouldn't Democrats, with the billions they spent in the last election, have been able to triumph? With the media apparatus that is firmly in the tank for the Democratic Party, including those major outlets that are owned by billionaires like Jeff Bezos, the Washington Post, etc., and so forth. Bernie's message is one of free stuff and resentment. This is not good for the country. This is not the direction we want to go in. Anyone with even a passing familiarity with what happens when you give the government more authority in your day-to-day life knows it's not a good thing. Do you want to spend more time at the DMV or less? Do you want to spend more time dealing with government bureaucrats or less? And how much of a say do you want those bureaucrats to have over your day-to-day existence? I want it to be minimal, narrowly defined with accountability. That is not what Bernie Sanders wants. He wants a mega state in control of health care, of higher education, of the economy overall. And it's because he says that people need more free Stuff paid for by you, place seven. I want everybody in this country to be able to have health care, to have education, to when they turn on the water, have drinkable water, not toxic water. So what we are fighting for, Brett, is a society not where just a few people can make a whole lot of money, but a society where everybody in this country has the opportunity to live in security uh, and dignity. The country that Bernie Sanders is describing where people don't have the opportunity to live in security and dignity does not exist. People do have those opportunities in America. We do have a massive system of free education all the way up to college. We do have overwhelmingly, not everyone, clean drinking water. Imperfections in the system we have are not an excuse to destroy everything that is good or working in the system we have. Because of what Bernie Sanders calls a political revolution. My friends, Sanders, I believe, will be the nominee. Socialism will be at the top of the Democrat menu. We have to fight back against this nonsense. And the fight begins now. We've got a lot more coming up. Stay with me. But your marginal tax rate rate was 26% because of President Trump's tax cuts. So why not say, you know, I'm leading this revolution. I'm not going to take those. 
But during the I am, I paid the taxes that I owe. And by the way, why don't you got Donald Trump up here and ask him how much he pays in taxes? Why don't you do something where you, where you don't answer the question and you move to another question because you don't want to answer the one because it's making you look like a fraud and a phony, and that's not fun for Bernie. Yep. Why not, why not uh, just pay the rate that you think? You're a very rich guy, Bernie Sanders. You're also an old guy. So, you know, it's not like you're going to run out of money. Why not pay the rate that you think the rest of us should pay? Why take the Trump tax cut? Well, what about Donald Trump and his tax return? No, no, no one's asking about that, Bernie. Why not do, why not lead by example? Show us how we should approach paying the federal government. You know, I had to send in a big check to the federal government yesterday, and it stung. It was the kind of check where, you know, I could do something with that money. I really could. And I've been paying taxes all year. I mean, I've, I've had withholding, but I also have outside projects and do other things I get paid as a contractor for. So I, I had to write a big check. And, you know, that check for me, I mean, that could be, you know, that could be the money for, you know, I don't know, an engagement ring. That could be the money for a down payment on a modest but a house. You know, I mean, that but I had to give that to the government in, in addition to all the taxes that I've been paying all year. And I have no expectation that Social Security will be there for me when I retire. I have no realistic expectation that Medicare in you know, 30 years is going to be what it is today and that the system will be in place in a way that it is sustainable. I mean, based on the spending rate and the debt, we're, it's just not not going to happen. But I have to pay all these taxes because our system in the 20th century, unfortunately, folks, became premised on intergenerational theft. And I know people don't like to hear this, but this is the truth. People who pay into Medicare on average take out twice what they pay in over their lifetime which means that most people are getting a lot more than they give, which means that they are being subsidized by the generations below them and by the debt that is being accrued year in and year out. That is what is happening, which is why to talk about making a Medicare for all system is just to say, let's look at the biggest financial problems we have in this country right now, the biggest threat to our long-term economic viability, the sustainability of this country, and it's on its financial footing. Let's take a look at that. And put that problem on steroids. Make that problem markedly worse. Make it a bigger monster to tackle down the line. This is crazy. And this is the worst thing that you could do in these circumstances. But it is what is happening right now. That is the approach that Bernie Sanders is taking. And that's why when he's being asked about his taxes, you know, doesn't he care about the future? Doesn't it matter to him what future generations are are going to be able to do or not be able to do because of decisions made today. We hear this all the time with, with climate change. We should make dramatic sacrifices now to, to protect the future. What about what about sacri- individual sacrifices on, on the tax code where it counts? You know, Bernie, put your money where your mouth is. Well, you got to be so mean, Buck. I'm just trying to run around, give everybody hugs. I want to be friends. I want to give them free health care, free college. The millionaires, the billionaires, they're going to pay for it. No, I don't think they will. I think the middle class is going to pay for it, just like the middle class is going to pay for Medicare. That's, no matter what they tell you, that's where the money is. I think it was over 50 million tax filers paid no taxes in this most recent cycle, okay? So, you know, of the people that are paying taxes, 
the most of the money is from people making you know fifty thousand a year or sixty thousand a year all the way up to you know half a million a year that's where the money is that's where you pay for public works projects that's where you pay for your massive spending programs your your welfare state it's not it's not on the it's not the millionaires and the billionaires really that's not where the real that's not where the the real change is my friends the real money so bernie's just I don't know if he's bad at math or he just doesn't care. But the lack of of honesty about what he thinks he should pay and how he's advocating for these systems that he he keeps saying are are going to give opportunity, that they, they equate government spending with opportunity. Meanwhile, you look at the Medicaid program and the most thorough study on Medicaid, which is healthcare welfare, ever done it was out of uh, a program out of oregon a study out of oregon showed that the difference in in actual health outcomes from people with medicaid to people without medicaid was zero there was no no differential that, that you weren't going to be healthier and live longer whether you had access to medicaid or not you know why because of shortages in the market because medicaid doesn't cover everything but even more to the point there are a lot of doctors that won't take medicaid why won't they take medicaid because they can't make enough money can't keep their doors open government won't pay them back at the reimbursement rates that they need they aren't market-based in their approach to, uh, to Medicaid, all right? The, the federal government says, well, this is what we'll pay for it. This is what the reimbursement rates are. Doctors won't take it. So what happens when doctors won't take it? There's a, there's a shortage. There's rationing of care that occurs. If you expand Medicare to everybody or everybody who wants it, all you're going to do is have the Medicaid problem of shortages, rationing, expanded for everybody who doesn't have private health insurance. And the effects in the private health insurance market when you can just push people off onto Medicare will be profound because that's what a lot of employers will want to do because of the costs associated with it. So this is, a, this is a, an enormous change the way we do health and, and health care in this country. And, you know, we also have to just own something here that I think a lot of Americans have difficulty with. They don't really want to hear. And that is we're less healthy than Western Europe and Japan, meaning that our people have more health problems. Maybe it's because we just, you know, drink a lot of monster energy in our, you know, four by four as we're running around in a, you know, tank top with jorts on and blasting Toby Keith. And I I don't know. I don't I don't know. While we're eating cheeseburgers and drinking a fifth of Jameson. And I don't know. But we're less healthy than European countries by uh, by direct comparison. So we're going to have more health expenses in general, no matter what our system is. So we just got to understand that. And when you look at what Bernie Sanders is promising for all of us, it's just going to be really, really expensive. It's not going to be what they say it is. Was Obamacare what they say it is? More health care for everybody that's cheaper and better. No, that is not the case. In fact, health care keeps getting more expensive. I mean, somehow, somehow I can tell you this. I have had private health insurance since, well, since I graduated from, from college, although I had a year there where I was like uninsured. And that was scary, by the way, because... You go to the doctor, all of a sudden, you go to a doctor in New York, you go to a specialist without health insurance, it's 800 to to $1,000. It's really expensive. I did not have money for that. Uh, but you look at uh, the health care costs. I mean, my health care every year in this country somehow managed to get more expensive and crappier. Fewer doctors, more costs. Every year. That's what I deal with. Everything else in the economy is getting better, cheaper, faster. Health care is getting worse all the time. Why is that? Could it be? That maybe healthcare is getting worse because of all of the political manipulation, 
all of the market intrusions at the hands of the federal government, at the hands of all these regulatory bodies and all these different programs that are meant to ship costs and cross subsidy and treat healthcare not as a commodity, not as a good that people pay for, but as a right. Do you think your house would be bigger and nicer if, if housing was a right in this country? Look at other countries where housing is a right. Do you think that do you think that they've managed to figure that out? Does everybody live in a huge house or when the state is in the is in the business of providing homes for people? Are those homes substandard, depressing, unsafe? Oh, we all know the answer to that question. The ultimate problem with Bernie Sanders and his version of socialism is that he refuses to learn the lessons of the past. He refuses to apply what we already know to the system that he promises will be. It is all a utopian fantasy that he offers. I'm not saying that there wouldn't be able to expand coverage for people and there wouldn't be some upside to it. Sure, there would be some upside to it, but there'd be massive downside. And on balance, what he's proposing isn't going to make things better in this country. It won't make college better if college is free for everybody. No one is lining up to say, you know what, I want to leave America and go to school in Sweden. No one does that. There's a reason for that. People do line up from all over the world to go to Harvard, though. You know, this is there are some basic realizations, basic truisms, not just that socialism leads to disaster everywhere where it's truly implemented, but that Bernie Sanders will not be honest about the costs and the downsides of what he is proposing and the fundamental dishonesty of his proposals is a giant red flag. I think that if they try tinkering with the system, again, they're already doing it under the table in so many ways, but if they try doing it more nakedly, they're going to encounter resistance because most Americans don't want this. Most Americans don't want the conservative agenda that we're now seeing, the extreme agenda that we're seeing in Washington. In fact, it is precisely for that reason that they have to interfere with democracy, with things like voter suppression or clinging on an electoral college that overrules the will of the American people. It is precisely because the American people, by and large, don't want what they're selling, that they are relying on manipulations of our political structure in order to keep their agenda in play. A lot of manipulations there from Mayor Pete, as he's being called these days, Pete Buttigieg. As you know, I was just out in Indiana, and so I was getting the Indi- the conservative Indianan, I think, is that is it Indianan? No, Indianan, that must be it. Uh, Indianan would be too much. Uh, the conservative Indianan approach and feeling about Buttigieg. I didn't realize South Bend is a city with, with some real, with some real trouble. South Bend, Elkhart, these are cities in Indiana that have more than their share of, of crime and poverty going on, even though they're, they're small cities, uh, which is disconcerting. And then you have the whole Mayor Pete, tape issue where there were some police in the city of South Bend that there was a taped line and there was a lawsuit over the tape line and people say that Mayor Pete fought the release of the tapes because there was racist stuff said on them and he didn't want to deal with the scandal. It's not really clear because they haven't released the tapes yet, but they're going. I got got news for you. If this guy keeps on his current trajectory, we're going to have to find out more about this. Um, because he's 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 become a player. He is the first person in this pack of this massive pack of Democrats who's made a real move, you know, who's really all of a sudden gone from obscure joke candidate to, wow, he's in the top 
three or four of all candidates running right now. And look, a lot of it, I think, is based on on his resume. People think of a a veteran Harvard educated Rhodes Scholar as just an inherently more serious person than, say, Marianne Williamson, who I actually interviewed yesterday and just like just like wants America to just open their hearts to love and to have the love in their hearts of, oh, yeah, also reparations that'll cost $200 billion. Wait, what? Uh, she's kind of a motivational speaker who's running for president. Sounds a little, or I shouldn't say sounds like, she does not sound like Beto, but kind of takes some similar positions, which is that the country needs a national healing. And the way to get to national healing is by enacting the progressive agenda and much higher taxes and redistribution of wealth and socialism. That's how we're going to heal as a nation. Folks, oh, I don't think so. I don't think that's a good idea at all. But, but Mayor Pete has gone forward now in in, the, in this pack. And when he's talking about it, we, we came in with that, that soundbite where he's discussing the manipulations the GOP uses and the extreme agenda of the Republican Party. And I just, I just had to laugh. What exactly is the extreme? What counts as an extreme agenda from Republicans? Let's go down this list because I've heard this from other people. Trump is so extreme. What has he done that is extreme? The border is more open than it's ever been. And I don't think it's Trump's fault, but that's reality. So that's, that's hardly extreme. Uh, the economy I mean, is doing very well. So I don't think anyone thinks of that as being extreme. Trump has started no new wars. So he's not extreme on foreign policy. The tax code is a little different, so people get to keep a little more of their money and the corporations aren't paying as much the government. Is that extreme? You know, show me one thing. I mean, this is where you have to start asking the basic questions to get important answers. If anything, I think the Republican Party, and yes, even Donald Trump these days, is not extreme enough. Extreme would mean they're pushing for maximum positions. Extreme would mean that they're uh, they're, they're pushing for a fringe a fringe uh, belief or a fringe policy item. Wh- where is that happening? Oh, I'm sorry, The is the wall fringe? Because the wall is what all experts who are worthy of the term experts think needs to happen at the border to prevent continued illegal crossing. Border Patrol, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So are, are they extreme? Is the entire immigration enforcement bureaucracy extreme? I mean, I really mean this. If he's going to run around calling the Republican agenda extreme, because we don't think that abortion up to and including the moment of birth, including post-birth abortion, is okay. That makes us extreme. We can't even get Planned Parenthood defunded with a Republican majority and a Republican president, but our agenda is extreme? Well, How, how is this a, a point that anyone can make and keep a straight face? I mean, how can we take anyone seriously who really thinks that the Republicans are an extreme party right now. If anything, the Republicans, I think, have been are, are, are too docile. Couldn't even do the repeal and replace of Obamacare, folks. So, you know, this is a talking point that they're using that does not stand up to scrutiny at all. And then to say that there are these other manipulations, voter suppression, they keep claiming voter suppression in places with record voter turnout. I think at some point, Democrats have to choose whether they're going to 
pat themselves on the back for record voter turnout in this place or that place or claim that there's some horrible voter suppression effort. And to say that the Electoral College is a GOP manipulation, the GOP did not just come up with the Electoral College starting the year 2000. The Electoral College goes all the way back to the American founding, as we know, and has been in place for a long time. And, you know, this country's done pretty well. There are reasons for the Electoral College. I think that liberals just don't know what they are anymore. And the ones that know don't care. But to say that the Electoral College over overrides the will of the American people is to ignore that there's a system that we have and that we we run races not for the popular vote. Democrats can keep doing this thing where they they whine and cry about the popular vote, but that's not the contest we're running. All right. If, if you're running a marathon and you and you are the fastest person for the first mile, you don't win the marathon because that's not the contest you're running. All right. Democrats need to stop with this. It's just whiny BS. It's dishonest. It's nonsense. But it's something that they say that makes themselves feel better. Right. Oh, well, we we basically won that last election. I mean, we didn't really win it, but we won what's important, which is that we got the most overall votes. Well, if getting the most overall votes is what this thing's all about, guess what? Donald Trump is going to spend a whole lot more time in New York and California and, you know, states where we just assume that the, the Democrats are going to win it handily. Huge population states I mean, New York and California, are the two most obvious ones, Illinois. Oh, yeah. President Trump spent a lot of time in Chicago, spent a lot of time trying to get that vote out in Illinois. But, you know, no, they don't do that because we have a different system in place. There are reasons for that system. And if Democrats want to change the system, that's one thing. But to say that it's a manipulation and the Republicans are cheating, this is just intellectual dishonesty for Mayor Pete. And for a guy whose qualifications seem to be that he served the country, which is obviously very honorable and we respect him for that, and also that he has an impressive academic pedigree, I, I wish he would just make honest arguments instead of walking us down this path where he's saying what he thinks he needs to say to get the Democrat left fired up about something. That's not right. That's not what he should be doing. Uh, and then you also have his continuing efforts to try and and pick a fight, really, with with Mike Pence. I, I want to get into this a little more on uh, the other side of the break, but I, I'm not as impressed with Mayor Pete as some of the other. Now, of course, they're conservative. So how impressed with them are they really going to be? But I, I'm not as as much of a uh, Mayor Pete fan from the other side. Right. I'm not somebody that looks at him and says, well, he's so you know, he's he's I disagree with him, but I think he's so great. I think he's being a little nasty on some of this stuff with Mike Pence. I think he's being a little unfair. Um, I think that, you know, when, when you hear the way that he speaks about a man like Mike Pence, who everybody who I know who knows him says that he's an honorable and good guy who means well by people. But, yes, is a is a believing traditional Christian. I think that the efforts to smear him and undermine him because of that faith, I think that there's something really distasteful about that uh, i think that that's that's a, a a sign of a character defect in someone like pete Buttigieg to go after mike pence the way that he has been um, and i'll i'll get into more of this in in just a moment 
The vice president is entitled to his religious beliefs. My problem is when those religious beliefs are used as an excuse to harm other people. This isn't about him as a human being. This is about policies that hurt people, policies that hurt children. That hurt children. I I would like to know what exactly Mayor Pete is referring to here. Um, Pence has said recently about Buttigieg that, quote, he knows better. He he knows me. And and that these are two men who, if nothing else, have interacted enough in the past that you would think there'd be some baseline level of of respect. Um, And, and, you know, I, I think this is a very interesting statement on on character. I tell you whenever I do this show, and I know that sometimes, and you're, of course, allowed to criticize me, those of you who are kind enough and, uh, and honor me with your time to listen to this show, um, but I don't trash people that are my friends on, I, on, on any side of the political, and I try not to trash people in general, but I also, I, I don't start feuds publicly through my work with people who are my friends in real life. I just So if you're ever wondering, why don't I criticize a certain person who maybe has a show at CNN or why don't I criticize a certain person who, you know, writes a uh, column for the New York Times? Uh, It's because they're friends of mine. And I tell you this openly because I want you to understand why, because I think that your personal relationships say a lot about who you are and how you interact with the people that are in your life, how you treat them matters a whole heck of a lot. And I don't want to make that subservient to short term political needs. Now, of course, if somebody that I know is a conservative and we're friends and they're running around saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, Abortion for all nine months is great and we need open borders. There are limits to this. I'm just saying in general, I try to avoid it. But what I think you've seen with Pence and Buttigieg is two guys who know each other who are Indianans and Buttigieg sees a benefit in trashing Pence in order to make himself seem more woke. You know, uh, Buttigieg wants to seem like he's really a a social justice warrior, not just a guy with an impressive resume and who was a warrior for his country, uh, but is a social justice warrior. And that's something else. That's something very different. And I think that it's it's unfair, the approach that he has taken to Pence. Uh, He said at a uh, LGBTQ uh, victory fund organization party uh, that, quote, if me being gay was a choice, it was a choice that was made far, far above my pay grade. And that's the thing. I wish Mike Pence's of the world would understand that if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. Uh, I, I'm I'm not sure what exactly. Well, I mean, I have some idea of what exactly his his beef is here with Pence. But, you know, as far as I know, Pence has never said that there is something, you know, publicly said that there's something wrong. He hasn't called out the LGBTQ community or or uh, same-sex couples or homosexuality as being inherently uh, immoral. I, I, I could be wrong here, but I've never heard Mike Pence say that. What the objection seems to be is that Mike Pence favors traditional marriage. And the, the problem that we end up running into here with the left is that a lot of traditional Christians, and certainly the Catholic Church, still favors traditional marriage, thinks that marriage is, in fact, between a man, uh, a man and a woman, and that while the state can recognize same-sex marriages, churches will not. 
This is a feud that's been latent for a little while, but I've always known that it would come back. And and here we are. Uh, You see this with the harassment campaign against a evangelical cake baker in Colorado who was told to make horrific and profane and anti-Christian statements on a cake or else. Because ultimately with the left, you bend the knee, you abandon your faith, you abandon your God or else they will come for you. There will be consequences for you. They will use the state to make an example of you. One more thing here that I did not want to leave out uh, because we had mentioned before, we had mentioned before the allegation from Pete Buttigieg that the Republicans are an extreme party. Well, if we're going to just not only refute that from the perspective of in what way are Republicans extreme, Let me just take you into the other direction with Bernie. And this was from that town hall on Fox last night. When Bernie is asked about aborting a baby up until the moment of birth, here is what cuddly old Grandpa Bernie said this. You know, he's so cuddly and crazy like a mad scientist with his hair. Uh, This is what he says about the very, very serious, the deadly serious issue of aborting a baby, of killing a baby at the moment of birth. Here's what he says. Play 10. To abortion, do you believe that a woman should be able to terminate a pregnancy up until the moment of birth? Look, I think that that happens very, very rarely, and I think this is being made into a political issue. Okay? So I think it's rare, it's being made into a political issue, but at the end of the day, I believe that the decision over abortion belongs to a woman and a physician, not the federal government, not the state government, and not the local government. Well, those people applauding, they should be ashamed of themselves, but they're, they've been propagandized, too, and they're not very bright. Bernie Sanders, the so-called cuddly grandpa of the Democratic Party that is the likeliest candidate to be their nominee right now, just said yes. All nine months of a pregnancy up to the moment of birth. Saying that it's rare is a dodge that has no moral weight whatsoever. A lot of things are rare. It does not mean that they would be moral or okay in the instance that they come up. But Bernie Sanders is an abortion extremist, you see, because the Democratic Party is full of abortion extremists. The Democratic Party no longer has room for people who are truly pro-life. So if we're going to throw around the term extreme, let's actually have some substance to it. Let's not just let it be a a smear that they can use against the right. Let's understand that if any party has moved to the extreme, to the polar opposite of, of what you know we would think a normal party would be in this country, uh, it would be the Democrat Party, the far left, the party of AOC and abortion on all nine months of a pregnancy. That's what we see happening. It just happened again this week. Candace Owens was trying to speak on campus as a conservative in Philadelphia at an Ivy League school, no less. And Antifa left-wing maniacs were screaming at her, getting up in her face. There is a war right now underway, an ideological battle for the soul of college campuses. Do you want to help the conservative side? Are you sick of all the intimidation and craziness you see directed at people just for being conservatives on campus? 
You can help in this fight by taking action now. Support the Leadership Institute by going to takebackthecampus.org. The Leadership Institute is the premier organization for educating and training conservative college students. With your gift of as little as $5 a month, you can help conservative college students stand up to intimidation and physical attacks. Just go to takebackthecampus.org and make your urgent gift to the Leadership Institute today. That's takebackthecampus.org. Org. The fire that they're having at the Notre Dame Cathedral uh, is something like few people have witnessed. Uh, when we left, we had a whole group of your great representatives. And when we left uh, the plane, uh, it was it was uh, burning at a level that you rarely see a fire burn. It's one of the uh, great treasures of the world, uh, the greatest artists in the world. Probably, if you think about it, I would say, Jovita, it might be greater than almost any museum in the world, and it's burning very badly. It looks like it's burning to the ground, but it's a terrible sight to behold. I think uh, if you look at World War II bomb damage in places like Dresden or in Great Britain, uh, there were clearly places that looked like they were hopeless. Uh, if you look at the great uh, Benedictine Monastery at Monte Cassino, it had been totally wiped out. And we went back and we rebuilt it. We know how to do this. And I think that President Macron was exactly right last night uh, to, to show defiance. It can be rebuilt. We have done it before. We know how to do this. And uh, 10 years from now, we should have Notre Dame right back there the way it was uh, as a great, great center of civilization. Team, today is a day of recuperation for the Western world. Um, and really for the whole world, at least the world that appreciates beauty and grandeur and, and human achievement, as we lick our, our wounds collectively over watching this uh, terrible fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Um, you have some good news today insofar as it, it could have been worse. The crown of thorns was saved, uh, which is one of the most revered relics in, in all of the Catholic faith. Uh, many of the of the paintings and, and statues, I believe even the gargoyles on the exterior of the church had been removed for part of the renovation. Uh, there were firefighters who showed tremendous bravery, and I believe a chaplain for the firefighters ran in and was the one who saved the crown of thorns. The host, the consecrated host, which Catholics believe through transubstantiation is the actual literal body and blood of Christ that was uh, saved so there's and, and then the exterior of the building at least the rose window uh, as well as the two towers that are perhaps the most those those three pieces together are, are what you think of when you think of uh, Notre Dame from the outside they managed to uh, survive as well the 8,000 pipes of the 18th century organ they all survived. There might be some damage to them. It's a question of the extent of that damage. Uh, but there's going to be an inquiry into this fire. They say it will be a long and complicated one. Uh, right now, we have no reason to believe that there was any foul play. Um, in fact, there's been a fair amount of people who have made a point of, of shutting down some of the uh, the early theories here about what may have happened. This was uh, my friend Neil Cavuto on, on Fox News uh, just 
just yesterday, I think, play 18. If it is an accident, it's a monumental tragedy. But forgive me for being suspicious. Just last month, a 17th century church was set on fire in Paris. We've seen tabernacles knocked down. Crosses have been torn down. Statues have been no, we smashed. Don't, we don't know that. We don't know. So if we can avoid what your suspicions might be, I do want to look at what happens now. Well, first, they have to get to the bottom of it, and they will rebuild it. There's no question about that. They Certainly, the Catholic Church will come up with the money for it. That's not even a question. But I, I'm sorry. I mean, when I find out that the Eucharist is being destroyed and excrement is, is being smeared on crosses, Wait a minute, this no, is going on now. We, no, I, I love you, Dale, but we cannot make conjectures about this. So thank you very much, oh, Dale. I'm sorry. Whoa, that was actually today, Producer Mike tells me. Cavuto was like, and you're out. No wild speculation. Shep Smith yesterday, who I've always felt like would be, he's more of a, of a CNN guy than a Fox guy, but he's been at Fox since the very beginning. So that's, in a sense, he's as Fox as anybody, I suppose. Uh, he... He had this to say yesterday about the early speculation around this plane 19. Everybody's really under shock now in France. I would tell you something. It's um, even if nobody, no, no, nobody died. I mean, it's like a 9-11. It's a French 9-11, you know, and it's um, it's a big shock. I mean, this uh, church was there for more than 850 years. Uh, even, even the Nazi didn't dare to destroy it. Um, and you need to know that for the past years, we had churches desecrated each and every week in France, all over France. So, of course, you will hear the story about the, the politically correct, the political correctness, which will tell you that it's probably an accident. Sir, but sir, sir, I, we're not going to speculate here of the cause of something well, which we don't know. If you have no, observations, if you have observations, no or you know something, we would love to hear it. No, I'm just telling you something. What you need to be ready. No, sir, we're not doing that here. No, sir, we're not doing that here. Uh, very strong. I, I just I want to note that it, it is, it, it, if we are looking at any event, well, a mass shooting, or lots of lots of tragic things that happen, there's, it's one thing to say, well, there's a context here you have to understand and to give some of that context. It's another thing to say, this is what happened because my gut tells me. And that guy wasn't saying that, you know, I don't even know who it was. He wasn't saying that Notre Dame was the result of a, some kind of a terror attack or even an arson. He was just putting in context that, you know, this is a church that's being destroyed that is really the, the most revered and most famous building in all of France in all of France and one of the most famous and revered buildings in all of Europe and really all the world. And he's just saying, look, you know, it's, it's coming at a time when it is, it, it's, there are a lot of churches that are being attacked in France and you don't see, I mean, how many of you, and, and I'm being honest, I, I put myself in this category and I follow attacks on Christianity, particularly in the Muslim world, actually somebody who pays attention to that. Um, but how, how much have you seen, in the news about these attacks on churches that have occurred. I'm not saying Notre, Notre Dame was an attack. I just, why are we not allowed to say that, it, you know, it, it adds to the pain right now that you have had churches attacked, stretching uh, stretching back now for years in France. It's become a far too regular occurrence. And now to lose through, it seems just an accident, but to lose a, a big chunk of one of the most splendid and incredible churches of of all time um 
we we can't have any anybody just bring up that this is particularly hard for believing Christians, for believing Catholics, that this hits those who view Notre Dame as as a a, a, a symbol, not just of beauty and Western civilization, but of Catholicism in Western Europe and, and, and the, the role that Catholicism played in the rise of Western European civilization, that the necessary place that it held for centuries and centuries without Catholicism, you do not have Western civilization. You do not have America. Okay, none of this stuff happens without the Catholic Church. People often forget that. Now, people say, Buck, well, what about this? Really, the Protestant Reformation? Yeah, but without Catholicism, you don't have a a Protestant Reformation either. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you don't have Protestants and you don't have the Protestant ethic and the the colonization of America and the religious freedom and the separation of church and state. You don't have any of those things. Separation of church and state. Some of you are already yelling at me. I know that's just a line in a letter from Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists and but you understand what I'm saying, that, that, that Catholicism was the foundation upon which Western civilization post Jesus Christ was built. Um, so that's you know, based upon the life of Jesus Christ. That's a, a reminder of, you know, at Notre Dame, this, this show, this is a, whoa, hold on a second. What's Notre Dame all about? People take a moment, they step back. But there's such a sensitivity to this. And, and you know, producer Mike just pointed out to me. They'll put people on TV all day who will speculate about Russia, Trump, you know, speculation in the last two years in the news business. And this doesn't mean that you can that, that it excuses it all, but it's just been rampant on so many things. And I, I just have to wonder why is it that in this case, it's not even speculation that's apparently a problem. It's just giving context to this, giving background to the sense of loss that people feel there, there's a a strange sensitivity that all of a sudden pops up with, oh, you can't mention that there have been a lot of churches that have suffered in the last year, that that there's a, a sense that Christianity, perhaps by demographic and natural as well as ideological reasons, is under assault. But, but it is. It is particularly under assault in Europe. You know, people think of France now as this very secular country. You know, France was really the original catholic christian country in in europe uh, it was the first major country where catholicism took hold uh in this in this way i mean you know obviously outside of of the vatican and um what was you know, this, this is this is a moment where i just think that people we should be allowed to to look at this and say well hold on a second um there's something bigger going on here. There's something more than just structural damage and a fire. Uh, It is, it is Holy week. A lot of people pointing out that yesterday was also the same day as I forget what it was. The Boston marathon bombing happened and uh, a bunch of other very serious historical events. I'm not one that thinks in, thinks much of these kind of time cycles of events and everything, but there was a lot of that going around on Twitter. Uh, and, And now we turn to, uh, the the rebuilding, but I I just want to note that there's for some reason this desire to to move past some of the lessons that I think we take from why does it affect people in this way? Yeah, some for for some folks it's just oh we um we think of this as as a a beautiful structure that has a a symbolism that's very different for lots of people. Yeah, but it's also a, it's it's a symbol of more than just 
beauty. And I, I would agree, and people might get mad at me with this, I would agree with uh, my former colleague Matt Walsh who's saying, you look at the, the gothic splendor and the aspirational beauty that is depicted in something like Notre Dame, and then you compare it to what passes for a lot of these sort of huge churches today that are being built, you know, churches that are built in the last 50 years. Why have we abandoned all sense of, of aesthetic beauty in, in, these, in these new structures that we're building? I, I mean, as Christians. Not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to pick on any one denomination, but, you know, there's this sense of, oh, you say, oh, buck, but, it's, you know, it's a question of resources. Not always. It's not always a question of resources. There's some very expensive, massive structures that go up that are called churches. And you just say, well, what, what about this is divine or inspirational? It looks, like, it looks like a Walmart from the outside. Is that really what we want? I remember at, and this is a little bit of a digression, but at Amherst, they showed us what the original library looked like at Amherst College where I went to school. And it was this beautiful gray stone gothic structure uh and and it just i and i think even uh, uh i can't i can't remember what the name of it was now but it was this i remember seeing this photo of it, and they replaced it with what you know in the 70s was this kind of modernist looking you know what, what basically every public school in the country looks like now for the most part you know that just these slat windows and the and the just industrial looking brick and granite and just just hideous hideous and i i think that there's i think that that a a reminder that there's something in the in the divine that requires us to have an aspiration to to what is beautiful and what is what is incredible i don't think that's a bad thing i think notre dame served that purpose for many many people but we'll, we'll come back with a little bit of the rebuilding and then we'll get back into politics in just a moment the deep state is not sending their best. After 2,800 subpoenas, 500 search warrants, 19 lawyers, all trying to tie President Trump to Russian interference in the election, the president has triumphed again. To show your support and celebrate this incredible milestone, you need to own one of Noble Gold's 2020 President Trump Freedom Coins. One side magnificently depicts an image of Donald J. Trump, while the other side lists his major achievements. This commemorative one-ounce coin is the only presidential Trump coin made of 99.9% silver, not silver plating, and is IRA approved. And so as the price of silver rises, so will the value of these coins. You want to hold on to this collector's item for generations. Just go to TrumpCoin2020.com and use code BUCK. Again, trumpcoin 2020.com use code b-u-c-k save five dollars off each coin again trump coin 2020.com for a 2020 president trump freedom coin code buck for five dollars off standard tax rates may apply notre dame by the way um has not burned to the ground thanks to the heroic efforts of those firefighters though the damage is really stunning had a suggestion for french firefighters today and here's what he tweeted he said perhaps flying water tankers could be used to put it out well, here's what the French Civil Defense Agency said, because they were not having that. And they tweeted this in English, by the way. While the fire was burning, all, while it was burning, all means are being used except for water bombing aircrafts, which, if used, could lead to the collapse of the entire structure of the cathedral. Again, the president said good things, but you would think the president made his name as a builder would know better. But this president can't seem to resist weighing in playing the expert.
This is a president who wants you to believe that he is an expert on everything, that he has all the answers. Remember, he alone can fix it. CNN wants you to think that they have people that are experts in anything, but they don't. There you had uh, Monsieur Don Lemon. Monsieur Don Lemon, who is taking this as an opportunity when, when the whole world is, is essentially weeping as Notre Dame burns, taking this as an opportunity. Oh, you know, you, you got a chance to hit Trump. You got to hit Trump. Got to take a swing at the Trumpster. Can't just let this go. And the president was just tweeting out what came to mind, which was a suggestion about how maybe to help fight this fire. He wasn't he wasn't trying to, uh, you know, make things worse or, you know, it's not his it's not his command position. He, he, it doesn't matter what he tweets out on this. He's just trying to be helpful. You know, was he right, right or wrong? I don't know. I'm not a firefighter. I couldn't tell you. But why why make this? Why, why do we have to make even this a partisan issue? Can we just all agree? Can we just all get along and come together and say Notre Dame burning is a terrible thing and it makes us all a little sad? But no, no, an opportunity to hit Trump. Uh, On the happy side of things, I started out this discussion of the Notre Dame Cathedral with how there were many important relics that were saved and and there was reason. Certainly this this could have been a lot worse, which I, I think is usually a pretty weak basis for like being happy about something oh it could have been worse yeah i mean anything could always be worse but in this case a lot of very very precious things were saved that will be there hopefully for for forever uh, once this is restored and you also had some the, you know the facade was maintained uh there will be some difficulty in the rebuilding i read today that they don't even have trees in france that are of the size and height anymore necessary to rebuild the the top of the structure so isn't that, i thought that was an interesting an interesting aside and i always wonder where, where would you even go if you were trying to replace ancient stained glass like this are there are there people that can really can they make it like they used to does that even exist i i don't know uh, i do know that a, a couple of french billionaires have stepped up and one of them who is the richest guy in, in all of france i forget his name he's offered I think 100 million euros. And then the family that owns the guy, he's married to Selma Hayek, which is people often know him as the guy who's married to Selma Hayek. Uh, he's offered $100 million in order to try and help rebuild. And Emmanuel Macron has said that they'll they'll rebuild this in five years. That's quite a a statement. Um, and this has become now a... a, a a national project that that France is going to uh, embark on. And it'll be interesting to see if there's a kind of unifying effect here. Some have rightly pointed out that France has been in the midst of the uh, the discord of the yellow vest protest. Remember the guys that are like, I don't want to pay more for gas. I'm already getting, you know, completely shafted by the uh, by the French government. Well, the yellow vest protests might have to take a backseat for a while to the, the unifying effect of rebuilding Notre Dame. So remember, the Catholic faith is all based upon rebirth. And there will be a rebirth of this cathedral.
You see what's happening at the border, and you know how unfairly you've been treated as a state. It would be a lot easier if Congress would get together and the Democrats would agree to get rid of these loopholes, these horrible and foolish loopholes, uh, catch and release and chain migration and visa lottery. Asylum is a ridiculous situation. People come in, they read a line from a lawyer that a lawyer hands them out online. It's a big con job. That's what it is. It is a big con job at our southern border right now. President's completely correct. And I think it's worth asking some of these very basic questions. Why doesn't Congress fix this? Why is it that we know that Congress will do nothing to address the crisis on our southern border? Absolutely nothing. Democrats will be intransigent on this. The only thing that will get Democrats to even seriously consider any legislation would be an amnesty bill. And an amnesty bill is the one thing that if President, if President Trump signs an amnesty bill, I will, I will campaign against him. If President Trump says that, that amnesty is the only thing that we can do and that's the only fix, we are lost, my friends. The, the game is over. Now we do have an open border. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. The next round of five or 10 million illegals, they're going to be the ones that are told they can't stay? I don't think so. And keep in mind that once you get an amnesty, it's not just the people that are amnestied in the country. It's all the people then that the court system will have to decide whether or not they get to be brought in the country too under family reunification. Isn't that such a nice name for chain migration? So you have... The, the government telling us that it's 11 million illegals in the country when it's really more than 20. And if you amnesty the 20 million that are in the country, how many of them are then going to try to sponsor? And you say, Buck, but the legislation would prohibit that. Then maybe the initial legislation would. The Democrats take power. That'll change real fast. Just like maybe the initial legislation will say they can't vote. They can't become citizens. But once they become permanent, guess what? What do you think Democrats are going to do? The only certainty in a in an uh, you know immigration reform situation the only certainty with comprehensive immigration reform is amnesty mark my words it is amnesty everything else would be up for debate discussion legal battles court fights but amnesty happens and amnesty's forever why can't congress do anything cuz congress does not want to the democrats in congress have no interest no interest in taking constructive uh, constructive action here. For them, it just benef- it, it's to the benefit of their party and their power to sit back and, and let this continue to happen. Let the migrants continue to pour into the country. It just means that they are changing the reality on the ground, so to speak, in this country, waiting for the time when they can have a real negotiation with the Republicans where they have all the leverage they need to get an amnesty. That's it. That's the only thing that they care about. All the other stuff you'll notice the Democrats discuss is about process and processing. And, oh, let's bring the migrants in this country even faster, as if that somehow is a fix, as if that somehow deals with the issue. So then you have the far left of their party. And I don't know if they have the discipline to hide what they really think about. Uh, all of this. I don't know if they have the discipline to keep it from the American people that they're not just p- 
passive in this whole process of the border being overrun, of our system being overwhelmed. And we're now on track for over a million illegals entering the country this year. It's not just that they are sitting back and watching this. Some of them are actively encouraging it. You know, they're not just the the supposed firefighters who refuse to turn on the hoses. They're now becoming the arsonists. AOC, when it comes to the border, Ocasio-Cortez is on that side of the equation. She is lighting the fires. She's not just sitting back while the whole thing burns. She wants to abolish ICE. Play clip one. I think abolish ICE is, is a call to action on several levels. One is the literal interpretation of abolishing ICE, um, which I support. I, and I've said, you know, on multiple occasions that I don't believe that an agency that systematically and repeatedly violates human rights can, I don't think that agency can be reformed. I think it has to be abolished. And I think we need to figure out a new way of doing things. Um, but. That new way of doing things is, I think, what we need to build. And that's also what the call to action is. Systematically and repeatedly violates human rights has to be abolished. What would she suggest we replace it with? You're just going to fire all those people and then rehire them to do something. You know, instead of ice, we'll call it nice because they're so nice to people. The new Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, nice. Maybe that's I might have just solved their problem right there. Just rebrand it. Go from ice to nice. Has to be abolished. Does she approve of their mission? That's what you really have to wonder. Well, I think we all know the answer. Of course, she doesn't approve of their mission. But if that is the case, why can't Democrats just be honest about it? You'll notice that there are so many places where Democrats, they they push ideas, they push policies where dishonesty is necessary for the sales pitch. Whether it's Bernie Sanders talking about Medicare for all, healthcare for everybody, it's going to be great, it's going to be awesome, you're not going to pay anything for it. Oh, but I mean, your taxes are going to go up a lot. But I mean, how much? Let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about how awesome your Medicare for all is going to be. Ocasio-Cortez says abolish ICE. Okay, so does that mean then that we are an open borders country because ICE is in charge of enforcing immigration law in this country? And processing people and saying who can stay and who can go. If we abolish ICE, does that mean we abolish our borders? If she wants that, shouldn't she just be willing to say it? I do think there's also this burgeoning ideological clash inside the Democratic Party that I find particularly interesting. And you're seeing it now with the old guard, the Pelosiite wing of the Democratic Party, and how she reacts to AOC. You know, Pelosi was even lukewarm on the Green New Deal. I mean, the Green New Deal is a lunacy. It's not that I don't like it or I don't think that it would work that well. The Green New Deal is like someone telling me that we should turn America into Candyland, where everybody gets to run around and, and float down chocolate rivers and, you know, eat lollipop trees. And it's just it's just bizarre. It's just not based in in real world anything. And that they put this out as a as a serious policy document, as a policy discussion, and they can call Trump extreme and crazy as much as they want. Not a single thing that Donald Trump has done as president is extreme and crazy by any honest metric or measure as as president. I mean, I'm not talking about his words and, and I'm talking about his policies. There is not one Trump policy that 
you could say is is an outrage or is, is so far outside the mainstream. Not one. What what has he done? I mean, quite honestly, I think the disappointment at this at this point with Donald Trump from the base is that he hasn't been as radical as people have wanted him to be in order to follow through on some of his promises. You know, the declaration of a state of emergency, for example, okay, that was fine at the border, but what is it really what is it really accomplished? But Pelosi understands that she's really being challenged, that her authority in the Democratic Party is being challenged by the far left. And she she even took a little shot here at AOC. Here's what she had to say. Play clip two. When we won this election, it wasn't in districts like mine or Alexandria's. However, wonder, and she's a wonderful member of Congress. I think all of our colleagues will attest. But those are districts that are solidly Democratic this glass of water would win with a D next to its name <laughs> in those districts. And not to, not to diminish the, the uh, exuberance and the personality and the rest of Alexandria and the other members. Yeah, but she kind of diminished it a little bit, didn't she? Oh, okay, so Ocasio-Cortez, she just beat a Democrat in the most, one of the most Democrat districts you can imagine in, in Queens, New York. So, yeah, she beat a fellow Democrat, but that doesn't mean that she has an understanding of national politics. It doesn't mean that she understands how to win over voters who need to be convinced. And I think that the more the more that the far left takes over the Democratic Party, the likelier it is that Trump will win. But also the more frightening it becomes for the country whenever the Democrats do get back into power, because you see this with Bernie Sanders. Even if you don't have the far left. Win necessarily. They keep dragging the Democratic Party further and further toward socialism, statism and a hard left ideology of identity politics and victimization. The victim obsession and how it is used as a weapon against political opponents. That's that's where the Democratic Party is heading right now. It doesn't matter if AOC is the one who runs for president or not. A lot of people running for president are going to have to adopt some of her style and some of her rhetoric if they want to win. Pelosi understands this for all of her faults. She is a savvy operator inside of the Democrat circles. So we should continue to watch what she says about it. I have no idea about any particulars of it. It's not anything we've been working on. We work on advancing women. If I ruled the world, I ruled the world, I would say educate women and girls. That's the most progressive thing, the most transformative thing that you can do to advance everything, families, women, girls, uh, the economies of countries, saving the environment, growing economies. It is the most important thing that you can do. So that was Nancy Pelosi. Speaking of Pelosi, in response to a question about Ivanka Trump's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative, which is, is all about, I'm sorry, Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative. Guess what that's all about? women's development and prosperity, educating them, job training, that kind of stuff. Pelosi can't even can't even have a nice word to say about that. I mean, this this is now becoming a standard among Democrats where they they oppose the right so much on so many different issues that even if they don't know what the subject is or or really what what the issue at hand may be, they just know they have to be against it if a Republicans for it. This is certainly true of Trump. I mean, there are still I I come across Democrats who, 
you know, the tax cuts were bad, even though the tax cuts benefited middle class families. Well, they're still bad. Why? Oh, because Trump was for them. Prison uh, prisoner reform bad. Well, the Democrats have been trying to get prisoner uh, prison reform done for a long time. Why is it bad? Oh, because Trump is for it. This is a standard part of Trump derangement syndrome. This is just how the left views their role here. Resistance, resistance above all else. Opposition even to things that would otherwise be considered good. Because you have to have that reflexive anti-Trumpism at the heart of the of the Democratic Party at all times. Nothing can be allowed to interfere with that. This will obviously be on display with the release of the Barr uh, Mueller report. I should probably we should probably start calling it that. Call it the Barr Mueller report because that's a, a reminder to everybody that this this report that's coming out was written by Mueller and approved by Barr, but they work together on this. So you're going to hear about all these redactions and all the games that were played. The people who are going to tell you that are dishonest. They are liars. They are not being fair minded about what has really happened here. Nancy Pelosi is among those who just views this as an opportunity for all kinds of partisan propaganda for for gamesmanship. Doesn't matter that the institutions that are represented in this report could really use a dose of credibility. An infusion of public confidence would really go a long way. Pelosi doesn't care about any of that. She has she she has Republicans to defeat. Play sixteen. For the attorney general, though, to say, I'll use my own judgment about what I redact, that's not necessarily going to be the final product. The American people deserve the truth. They need to know the truth. There was an assault made on our elections uh, by the uh, Russians. We have to find out what happened so it doesn't happen again. And uh, it isn't up to the attorney general who has said basically that the president is above the law and and the rest so he's there to redact whatever he wants this is stunning that soundbite from from pelosi i mean most of that you could have played as it as it was just without reference to the release of the report but all that this is an assault on our elections and you know all that stuff that could have been a soundbite from two years ago you could have just played it then, before the whole Mueller report. You know, this is our elections, the sanctity of our democracy. All the stuff that she says. It's like nothing has happened with the Mueller report. It's like we did not find out that there was no Russia collusion. Now, now we're supposed to believe that there may be, you know, the bombshells may be in the report. The bombshells may be just lurking in some of these paragraphs that otherwise would would just go unnoticed, I guess. I, I I don't know. They're desperate, though. They're desperate. And that's why this this effort to undermine Attorney General Barr, uh, you know, this this is something that people should really be they should see for what it is. I mean, it's it's embarrassing to try and be as as unkind and unfair to Barr as these Democrats are. But the good news is Barr's used to it, and I'm sure he was expecting it at some level. I'm sure he had an understanding that, you know, this is what was going to happen because this is all politics. The people that are yelling the loudest about how this is meant to answer the American people's questions and it's all about transparency. Where were they on? Hey, can we see the FISA applications in full? 
I don't think there's any serious person who understands FISA who doesn't believe that that process was abused by partisan Democrats trying to take down Trump. So why can't we see that information? Doesn't our right to have greater transparency on FISA and, and what was done to try to stop this president and overturn the results of an election, doesn't that outweigh some of the bureaucratic red tape around getting those answers? I think it outweighs it by a lot. I don't think it's even close. But that information has still been kept secret. That information is still redacted. If you're looking for consistency with Democrats on any of this, you're going to be looking for a very long time. Pelosi and others have shown what's really at stake here, and that is a narrative that allows them to hurt Donald Trump's reelection prospects. That's it. Everything else is noise. Everything else is a distraction from what's really going on. And if you want to talk about undermining institutions, I mean, Congress right now, the Democrats are such a bunch of jokers, won't do anything on immigration and won't move past Russia collusion even still. And of course, obstruction. For all of you out there who either run your own business, are the CEO or senior officer of a company, or if you just happen to work in the HR department, I want to tell you about my friends at Global Verification Network. In the background investigation and vetting space, these are the people you need on your team. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. Their headquarters are in Chicago, but they can handle cases across the country, and they do. They bring a tremendous amount of expertise and discretion to the background check business. And unlike a lot of their competitors, they don't outsource their stuff overseas. They do it all here in the U.S., and they make sure they get you answers fast when there's a close call or something sensitive that needs direct attention. So please, for all your background check needs, call my friends at Global Verification Network, 877-695-1179, or go to mygvn.com. Woman Omar sent out a release last night saying that your tweet from a couple of days ago has led to direct threats on her life. Any second thoughts about that tweet and the way it was produced and put together? No, not at all. Look, she's been very disrespectful to this country. She's been very disrespectful, frankly, to Israel. She is somebody that uh, doesn't really understand, I think, life, real life. It's unfortunate. She's got a, uh, a way about her that's very, very bad, I think, for our country. I think she's extremely unpatriotic and extremely disrespectful to our country. God bless Trump for not bowing down to this nonsense and, and giving some half-hearted or fake apology uh, where he has done nothing wrong. There, there should be no apology. There, there's nothing that Trump should apologize for when it comes to Ilhan Omar. She keeps saying things that cause her trouble. She's a public figure. She represents a, a congressional district on Capitol Hill here in D.C., She's a legitimate target for criticism. Her statements are completely fair game. And it's not our fault. It's not the fault of conservatism or the right that she keeps saying things that show her to be anti-Semitic and a terrorism apologist. And somebody who, who takes this position that our concerns in this country about radical Islam are, are rooted in a kind of anti-non-white hatred. That really the only reason we have such concerns about Islamic radicalism in America are because of the rise of white nationalism. That's the mindset. I'm not saying that those are her words, but that's the mindset behind much of this dismissing of 
Islamic terrorism in this country and always replacing it with, as Ilhan Omar has and others do as well, Ocasio-Cortez. And this is the, the, the standard talking point on the left is the real threat in this country is white nationalism. I saw Tucker Carlson said recently, uh, Tucker's great. He said that in 20 years, fifth graders are going to be told or they're going to believe that white supremacists conducted 9-11. I don't think he's far off. There's going to be this rewriting of history where, you know, nah, 9-11, you know, no big deal. But the, but the real problem was some guy who was white who said some mean thing to a woman with a hijab at some point somewhere in this country after 9-11. That's the real problem, they'll say. Ooh, Islamophobia. Uh, I would just note that anytime somebody comes at you with the Islamophobia talking point and when people say that it's just racism behind Islamophobia, it's fear of non-white people, ask them, why is it that we don't have Hindu phobia in this country where you have about as many Hindus in America as you do Muslims, roughly speaking? It's, it's a few million of, of, of each. Well, why is there no Hindu? There's no Hindu phobia, right? I've, I've never met a person that had a concern about terrorism and the Hindu religion. It's literally never come up in my entire in, in America in my life. Um, I've never heard of Buddha, Buddha phobia. And that's not Buddha judge. That's Buddhist ophobia. Now, these are these are non-white religions, generally speaking. I'm sure there are some people that convert, but. These, these are, are, are almost entirely non-white religious traditions that exist in large numbers, the same numbers, roughly speaking, as you'd have with, with Islam in this country. What about Sikh-ophobia? Sikhs are non-white. They're actually from South Asia. And some people who are, you know, not very intelligent mistake or, or mix up Sikhs and Muslims, and that's actually led to some terrible things in the past. Uh but there's no Sikh-ophobia. So if it's really about racism, I just want to know why is there no concern about these other faith traditions as incubators, disproportionate incubators for radical ideology? Why is, why is that the case? You know, They don't have answers for this, of course, because there's something different about Islam. I mean, this is a debate we don't have much more in this country lately. Uh, we've moved on to other topics and subjects. Uh, the news cycle has gone beyond this, largely because the eradication of the Islamic State. Thank you, Trump. And the understanding that we're not going to remake the Middle East. We're just not going to make it our problem anymore. Or we shouldn't. I have my concerns about what we're going to do in Syria, but we should not make this our problem. Um, but Omar is creating her own problems in this whole process. Omar has no one to blame but herself for what she says and the way that people react to it but the lack of of decency and the, the kind of unrepentant the the defiant attitude you get from leftists such that you would even have ocasio-cortez i mean i almost couldn't believe it as i was saying it to you yesterday calling out wounded combat veteran navy seal dan crenshaw for not doing enough for 9-11 families like he's not he hasn't been involved enough in the war on terrorism. I can assure you, if you lined up most 9-11 families and said, who's done more for the fight against radical Islam? Ocasio-Cortez or Dan Crenshaw? I think you'd have 90% plus say, uh, thank you, Captain Crenshaw, for your service to this country. That's what I, that's what I think would happen. Um, yet she's willing to get into that fight. 
She's willing to say that Crenshaw has something to be ashamed of. Um, but ultimately what the left has done is they've created double standards for Ilhan Omar all along with what she says and what she gets away with saying. But when you subject that to scrutiny, the scrutiny of people that aren't completely sold on just how wonderful she is because of these identity politics considerations that are always brought to the forefront. When you have someone who just says, no, no, I want to judge her by her words, not her identity. Then she's got problems. Bernie Carrick, whom uh, I, I always enjoy when I get a chance to see him in the green room. He's a good guy. Uh, Bernie Carrick had this to say about, remember, he was the police commissioner for the city of New York, was almost a Homeland Security chief, and then got into some legal trouble and went to prison for a while. Told me, though, that he learned a lot about prison, prisoner population. You'd think the police commissioner of New York City would know that sometimes people really do get rough stuff from the system, and they serve sentences that are way too long, and there's really no need for it. But once he served himself in prison, he realized, wow, sometimes the system really is unfair. But I appreciate his perspective on criminal justice reform. I also appreciate his perspective on Ilhan Omar. Play clip 12. She's infatuated with Al-Qaeda, with Hamas, Hezbollah. She was at CARE at a fundraiser. She was the keynote speaker at a fundraiser for CARE, which according to the United Arab Emirates, an Arab nation, they are a terrorist organization. You can't support and defend terrorist groups and organizations and and terrorists. She wrote a letter to a sitting federal judge calling for the, you know, leniency for a convicted terrorist. You can't do that and be a member of Congress. I personally think she should be removed from Congress. She should be voted out for sure, but she shouldn't be on the Foreign Relations Committee. That's right. She's not just a member of Congress. She's on the House Foreign Relations Committee. She has a say and a voice in U.S. foreign policy abroad. Someone who never has a nasty word to say about Hamas, but has lots of nasty words to say about Israel, including smears about dual loyalty and exactly the kind of stuff you would expect from somebody who was acting as a mouthpiece for extremist organizations across the Mideast in terms of how they speak about Israel. So, you know, Ilhan Omar has nobody to blame but herself. And this this effort that has been underway the last couple of days to make President Trump somehow responsible for death threats against Ilhan Omar just shows how dishonest the left is willing to be in this discussion. Instead of engaging with what she says, which is often reprehensible, and having to deal with the realities of, of who she is and how she conducts herself, they just say, you're, you're inspiring violence against her. They just say that, you know, you're the reason that some crazy people have said horrible things about her. Note that the same media that is swallowing that line with very little pushback was basically okay, by and large. Not all of them, but, but most of them were okay with a mob showing up outside of Tucker Carlson's house, uh, mob showing up in restaurants to yell at Kirsten Nielsen or at Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, kicking her out of restaurants, shaming her publicly. This is the problem with dealing with Democrats is that they don't have principles that they can agree on or applicable in all cases. They want principles that benefit their side and principles that hurt our side. Well, those aren't principles. 
Those are double standards. Double standards are unnecessary. They're just a necessary evil, unfortunately, for being on the left, because otherwise you just run into all kinds of contradictions and difficulties. So they'd rather just live with double standards and hypocrisy, including on Ilhan Omar and how we are allowed to talk about her. When it comes to buying wine, most people's selections have nothing to do with taste. Instead, they base their decisions on which bottle looks the best or what's on sale. Well, I know what that's like, folks, but thankfully I joined First Leaf, the wine club that makes it easy to discover new wines you'll love. First Leaf has created a club experience that's customized to you. By rating the wines you receive, First Leaf determines your likes and dislikes and uses a custom algorithm and professionally trained wine concierge team to send you wines that you love. Look, I've got a delicious Malbec from Argentina now from First Leaf. I never even knew how much I liked Argentinian wine before, but thanks to First Leaf, I'm learning about wine and learning what I love. So please sign up today with my link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash buck. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Again, tryfirstleaf.com slash buck. I just asked everybody that was black and disagreed not to subscribe to the UKKK. What are you going to do about the neo What I'm doing is I'm taking my community. I'm taking my community inside. That's just a little taste of what was going on earlier uh, earlier today while Candace Owens was trying to speak at a Ivy League, oh, I'm sorry, earlier yesterday on an Ivy League campus, uh, University of Pennsylvania. She's trying to speak to the Republican group at what is an, an elite school. And guess what happens? A black conservative and, and a, a young black conservative, too, is trying to address people that are roughly her age. She wants to tell them about how black people should not be uh, culturally and politically bullied into voting for Democrats, that she she opposes that. She's not OK with that. And what do they do in response? Uh, what do the Democrats do? What does Antifa do? They, there, were, there was actual Antifa there. They show up and they scream at her. They show up and they yell. They spit out hate at this uh, young, conservative, African-American female on a college campus. Notice how all the protections, all the special status that we discuss with Ilhan Omar, which the media will uphold and they will, they will go to bat to protect her in every way they can. That all goes away. Candace Owens has none of that. No one in the media says that it's racist, for example, to yell horrific things at a young black female who's a conservative on a college campus. No one comes to her defense and says how disgraceful it is that this woman, this person of color, is being told that she's not allowed to have a point of view. How demeaning, how undermining is that? And what you have is... Antifa Philadelphia, which I'm sure is full of a lot of Rachel Maddow watching incels, uh, writing the following Hitler admiring. This is on their Twitter account. Far right 
anti-immigrant fear monger Candace Owens brings her outrageously wrong and backwards ideology to UPenn on Monday. For real, y'all are an Ivy League school. Y'all should have that revoked. Uh, what What is wrong with these people in Antifa? I mean, there's, that's a question for which there are many, many answers. But they're not even making sound arguments as to why they don't like. They don't make an argument as for why they don't like Candace Owens or why her speech is reprehensible. I mean, this, this point to, to say that Candace Owens is Hitler admiring is utterly moronic. She was trying to discuss the difference between nationalism and the way that nationalism was tainted by some of the great nationalists. And I don't mean great as in good, but the, the biggest, the most well-known nationalists of the 20th century. Right. And that now people think of nationalism in the context of Hitler, Mussolini. You know, people think of nationalism really as almost synonymous with fascism when it is not. When it is not, in fact, synonymous with fascism. Um, you, you can there's actually a very uh, a very good book that I would recommend to you that I just recently Finished, And I, I know uh, some of you keep asking me to post a book list. Maybe this would have to go on it. Yoram Hazoni's The Virtue of Nationalism. It is a very well-reasoned and well-thought-out defense of the idea of nationalism. And he says in the book, he writes in the book, that nationalism stretches all the way back to the Jewish state and the origins of Israel in the Bible. That the super state, whether it was Egypt or Persia in the context of ancient Greece, the super state from which there is no reprieve, no hiding, no freedom from, has been the great struggle of civilization for as long as we've had civilization. That people need a sense of belonging that goes beyond just I'm a person and there is one authority on earth that tells me what I can and can't do and there is no alternative to that. You cannot be free with the super state making all decisions for all people. And then at a, a more basic level, there's a human need for identification with the family, the tribe, the city-state, the nation. That there's a, a, a hierarchy of belonging that exists and you can try and, and eliminate that with things like the EU and with the United Nations and these other uh, supranational organizations. But that human longing still exists. And nationalism is a manifestation of that desire to belong to a country that feels like something that you are a part of, not something that you just happen to be in the midst of that you are subjected to the super state you are subjected to the nation can be in a, a in a sense at least from a political perspective a massive family and that's the case that he makes it is it is the expansion of the tribe it does not replace the family it it, it has a role and it should not be the only thing but to say that Candace Owens is, an, is a Hitler-admiring Nazi is so stupid as to be unworthy of any, of any person taking seriously. But this is what is said. And that's why when Candace went up to Capitol Hill and took on the loony left and took on the congressmen that were trying to accuse her of this, it was so satisfying for people. These are stupid positions. The left cannot win these fights. 
They cannot win on campus without bullhorns and foghorns and, you know, sirens and yelling and screaming and chanting. And one of the reasons that they become so emotional and irrational when confronted with something like what Candace Owens presents on campus is that they know at some level or at least have a fear. They can't quite describe it, but a fear that if their ideas were subjected to scrutiny, they would be insufficient. They would wither. They would be shown to be intellectually bankrupt. When you've been your whole life, as leftists tend to be, spoon-fed what to think, how to think, never challenged, and never asked to go deeper than just the repetition of what you're told so that you can have a sense of belonging on the left and be one of the, quote, good and smart people. There's a deep insecurity that comes from that. You see it with all these college campus kids who are leftists. You see it with Antifa. And you certainly see it anytime a strong conservative speaks in a public forum, especially on college campuses. We've got more coming up, team. Let's talk about Jussie Smollett in a moment. I am not yet done talking about Jussie Smollett. You might be saying, Buck, why, why hasn't that been in the news recently? Oh, I, I don't know, team. Maybe because the liberal media doesn't want to talk about it. Because to any person with any sense of justice and fair play, any sense of decency, I would argue, the Jussie Smollett case is an instance of how the Democrat left will completely subvert the justice system, the rule of law, accountability, fairness, because they think that their side, the left, aggrieved, victimized groups, uh, their side should get special treatment. And the Jussie Smollett case is a perfect example of just how egregious that special treatment can be. Well, Jussie, turns out, is out in Hawaii on vacation. Remember, he has suffered zero consequences for his massive hoax that caused a nationwide uh, media scandal, right? That, that claim that Donald Trump supporters attacked him in the in the wee hours and a cold winter night in Chicago and yelled, this is MAGA country. I mean, the whole thing was utterly preposterous. And as I have noted, I'm very proud that on this show, I didn't believe it from the beginning and and held the line on that one and didn't waver, didn't decide to try to run for cover on it. And we did Jussie Smollett updates about how ridiculous this whole thing was. Well, Jussie is out in Hawaii and he was her overheard telling a, a friend of his, it's over, I got off. And he was insisting, I did not do any of this. The charges were dropped. And an onlooker said, he was saying, Ryan, Ryan, you have to believe me. This was while Jussie was walking around a parking lot as his family was dining nearby. He was vacationing with his uh, sister, brother-in-law, niece, and nephew. And uh, he's, you know, trying to let the heat pass here. But <clears throat> Jussie Smollett is guilty. We, we know he's guilty. And the uh, Kim Fox, the attorney, uh, the state's attorney who let him go, uh, should be horrifically embarrassed. But I can tell you she's not. She's not embarrassed in the least. Because what she did was put some points on the board for what she considers her team. Because Jussie Smollett is a connected Democrat, black and gay. These are all 
areas. These are all, you know, lines on the chart, so to speak, that the left wants to check off as, yeah, that's right. We take care of our side. They think of minorities, the LGBT community. And when you add on top of this to somebody who's very connected into the Obama administration as well, as somebody deserving of special protection. This sends a terrible message across the country. It, it does mean that there are people who will question the next hoax, I mean, the next hate crime and think that it might be a hoax, even if it's much more substantial and, and much more likely to have been true. Because if there's no accountability for making a fake allegation like this, why not make plenty of fake allegations? If you won't be held to account, I mean, this is a disgrace. And I would just note that the media that is willing to go along with stuff like this and completely defame Trump supporters as being bad people who support this kind of thing, they never, ever come forward after a case like this and say, we're going to do things differently. They don't learn their lesson. Now, why is that? Is it because they don't think that there's really something wrong here? No, it's because they've served their purpose. The media in the Jussie Smollett case served their purpose. They don't care that they were wrong. They got to trash Trump supporters for a couple of weeks. Kim Fox served her purpose. She's not sad about this. She's not, uh, you know, she doesn't feel like she did anything wrong. She, she took one for her team, Team Democrat, Team Left Wing Victimology Minority Group. That's what she did. She decided that this is worth throwing her credibility on a bonfire uh, because ultimately it's all about fighting for for your side. And that's what she did. Justice is irrelevant in this whole process to her. And justice was irrelevant. So I will not forget that they think that Jussie Smollett, because he's in Hawaii, is out of sight, out of mind, not out of my sight and mind. I want justice. And that means accountability and punishment and some degree of additional humiliation, because that's what he deserves, because he's a liar, an unrepentant liar. I'm on to you, Smollett. Oh, it's time for the roll call. Favorite time of the third hour and the back of the third hour of the show. No question about that. This is of all of all the segments we do at the end of the show. This is my favorite by far. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I know according to the people that we pay to give us data about the audience, a uh, vast majority of you, like over 90 percent are on Facebook. So there's no reason for you not to send a message and say, Hello. You can just do that if you want. Hello, Buck. Or you can send me an incisive, insightful question. It's it's really up to you how, how you want to play it, how you want to roll. Uh, let's get to Taft, which is a cool name. As a podcast minion, I'm always a day behind. My apologies, your beardness. This nonsense with Omar and the rallying of the media behind her is completely foreign to me. What she said is absolutely wrong, and this fact should be unilateral across both sides of the political coin. The divide that this country has right now, I'm afraid, is almost past the point of feeling of healing. Uh, fingers crossed that is not the case. Shields high. You know, they're backing up Omar mostly because they're testing, I think, the limits of what special protection preferred victim groups can get. And they also want to keep that that uh, tactic ready for usage against Trump in the general election, because that's what it's going to be. You're going to hear so many times that Trump is sexist, Trump is racist. And you may say, Buck, but they're not going to convince anyone 
who doesn't already think Trump is a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a bigot, Islamophobic, uh, all that stuff. Agoraphobic. Hydrophobic. Uh, They're not going to arachnophobic. I'm just all right. I'll stop. But they're not going to convince anybody who doesn't already believe that. So then why are they so fixated on it? Oh, that's right. Because they are just trying to sway enough people in about a half dozen states into, if not voting for a Democrat, at least staying home to not vote for Trump because, you know, I don't want to be racist. Just bad to be racist or, you know, can't vote for Trump, going to stay home, and play Fortnite. I've not tried this game yet. I'm worried that if I start playing it, I'm just going to spend my time playing Fortnite and that would be bad. I should be researching and writing and going to the gym and not playing Fortnite, but maybe I should play a little Fortnite. I have to see. Thomas, what's what do you got here, Thomas? Whoa, here you go. Good commentary on Jerry Nadler, Buck. He needs to retire. He's nothing more than an ad-libbing hack fabricating his own interpretations of laws and authorities. The latest development regarding the Mueller report is Schiff and Nunes submitting a joint request to see the entire unredacted report. A.G. Barr should probably convene a conference for the Intel and Judicial Oversight Committees of both houses within the DOJ SCIF and physically read the entire report, review all related documents, and then release a joint statement of their conclusions. No phones, no cameras, no written notes allowed in or until the final statement is written and agreed to by all in attendance. That would bring a final close to this petty sniping and remove the cloud of suspicion over this administration. Doubtful people like Nadler and Schiff would agree to it. They would be forced to eat crow and make a public apology for all their misguided and uninformed statements. Shields high. Well, Thomas, I think we pretty much know what the Democrats are going to say about the whole situation, right? I think we already know that their plan is going to be to say that the redactions are unfair, that, you know, there's a uh, a, a plot a plot to convince, you know, a plot involving Barr and perhaps Mueller as well. To, I, you know, and they're going to say some crazy stuff. They're going to say that Barr is Trump's man. How do they get around the fact that Mueller's also involved in the redactions? I don't know. They'll just ignore it. They'll just do what they did with taxes. Remember, they just lied a lot about taxes and they convinced, unfortunately, a lot of people that. Taxes, in fact, did not go down for them, which is not true, but it is a reminder of the propaganda power of the media that they can, in fact, convince a majority of the American people of things that are false. And they do that and they willfully do that. So on the Mueller report, I think you'll see the same thing. There will be claims that all the Mueller report says this or the Mueller report says that it won't be true But there'll be enough truth to it that they can spread the lie. They can spread that fake news like Nutella on anything. Because as we all know, Nutella makes anything delicious and edible. Um, Brittany, that's right. I would put Nutella on shoe leather and say, mmm, delicious. Brittany writes, my nephew's going to Washington, D.C. this week on a school trip. I told him that if he gets a picture with Buck Sexton, I'll give him $50. I sent him your name, picture, and orders to give you a Shields High. I really hope he gets it. Well, Brittany, I, I can't say that I hang out by the monuments all that much, so I don't know how likely it is that your nephew is going to see me on this trip, but tell him that I, I hope he has a great time here in the swamp and that there is something very special as a kid about seeing this place for the very, very first time. Uh, so, yeah. John, Shields High, real news fan. 
The left is opposed to Trump putting illegals in places that already vote Democrat. They are upset because their plan is to put them all over flyover country to switch the electorate. Case in point, Ilhan Omar and Kami Bear lives. Um, the left. Oh, so you're saying that they want to spread illegals into places where the votes matter more for them? I, I don't know if they have. I'm sure they would like that idea. I don't know if that's. And people say, oh, Buck, but illegals can't vote. Well, their children can vote. Democrats are playing the long game here. If their kids are born in this country, they're U.S. citizens, they can vote. I can understand if you grow up in a family where your mom or your dad is an illegal and you're being told the Democrats are the good guys and the law and order Republicans are the bad guys. Guess who you're going to cast your vote for? We know this. We know how this plays out. We know where this goes. Uh, And Ilhan Omar, she's going to be a liability for the Democrats. She really is. Uh, they, They that's why they just they're doubling down on everything they can right now try to give her some cover because she, she's going to be a problem for them. Uh, Bob writes, Buck, great radio show. Bob, great taste in radio shows. I wonder if you know when asylum process, uh, asylum requests are processed, do they take fingerprints? What about catch and release aliens? If so, the idea of release is less uncontrolled because future identification is possible. Your thoughts, Bob, that is a good question. I do not have an answer for you offhand, but I will find out. Uh, I, I would I want to say that, yes, they do. Uh, they do fingerprint them, but I can't tell you that definitively. So let me check and get you an answer on that. Joe writes, Buck, I have another falsehood to add for you. Sandy Hook, they keep saying he used the rifle on the children. He never took the rifle in the school. He used two Glocks once again. The narrative. Uh, Joe, I don't remember offhand if that's true or not. I know he had access to an AR. I, I don't know. I, I'd have to check and see offhand if, if you're correct on that one. I'm I'm pr- prone to agree with you uh, or at least to accept what you're saying, but I'm not sure. Mike, right? Shoot, you pre- you're preempted again here in L.A. for a sports broadcast. Maybe your largest market, but between UCLA and basketball, you're you're sometimes a no-show here. We miss you, Buck. Oh, Mike, trust me, man, it hurts. Uh, I love being out on KEIB in Los Angeles. We've got a great listenership in Los Angeles. Many, many, many thousands of people listening to the show in just that one market. But sometimes people want to hear their sports. And so the good news is you can always, always... Download the Buck Sexton Show podcast on iTunes. Folks, if you're listening to this, even if you're listening live on radio, please go into your iTunes subscription, type in the Buck Sexton Show, click subscribe, and just know you can always listen to the show that way on your smartphone, on demand, whenever you want. And for anybody that you want to tell about the show, which is the nicest and most appreciated thing you can do for me and for what we're doing here in the Freedom Hunt, just tell them to do the same thing. Go on iTunes, subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, let's see. Jim, the far left attempted to use the Mueller investigation to plausibly reverse the election. Now some of them are talking impeachment. I'm curious if AOC and Mayor Pete are aware if President Trump gets impeached and removed, Vice President Pence takes over, not Hillary. Just curious. Well, Jim, this is really all about making sure a Democrat wins the next election more than it is removing Trump from Office. I don't think that any Democrat has any serious belief uh, or, or, or really seriously is holding on to the hope that President Trump will be removed from office. There's never going to be a two thirds vote in the Senate for that unless Trump 
truly did do something horrific and crazy, which he has not done, despite all the insane stuff Democrats say about him. But just by raising the specter of impeachment, it gives Democrats a talking point to use to bash the president with. And that is really their primary goal. Um, Let's see. Next here. So it's all politics, what I'm saying. Mike, right. You once told us your favorite Bigfoot movie title. Uh, Which was it? I'm a Bigfoot fan, but there's not too many good movies about him. Great show, by the way. Thanks for doing a great job. Love the impressions. Well, Mike, thanks for listening to the show, man. It's amazing. Fantastic, man. Um, I don't know why I stumbled there, but I did. So, what do we have? Oh, the Bigfoot movie title. So, it's not a good movie. I have to tell you that before I tell you the title. It's not a good movie, but it was watchable. It's very violent and very graphic, and it's called Primal Rage. I watched it on Amazon. It is a Bigfoot movie that is like a rated R plus version of a Bigfoot movie. If you have seen, I will tell you this, it's just a little less graphic and messed up than The Hills Have Eyes, which I am still haunted by and I do not recommend anybody watch. Not because it's scary, because I'm not worried about mutants from under a nuclear testing site coming after me in DC. Uh, Different swamp creatures come for me here. Uh, but because of the degree of, of violence and depravity in the movie. So if you want to see a really intense, messed up with bad acting Bigfoot movie, it is uh, Primal Rage. But The Legend of Boggy Creek, I've heard, is a better... It's almost like the Blair Witch Project meets Bigfoot. I haven't seen that one, but people have told me that if you're looking for Bigfoot film fare, that's what you want to go with, The Legend of Boggy of Boggy Creek. I haven't seen it, though, so that's not a recommendation for me. That's just passing on what I've been told. Tim, that's going to be it for The Hut today. Thank you so much for joining and listening, especially my, my podcast squad that listens on demand. Appreciate you guys making time for The Hut. We will talk to you tomorrow, same time, same place, shields high. Left-wing dominance of college campuses turns into left-wing dominance in our culture, our politics, and our future. We cannot cede all colleges and universities to the loony left. Do you want to have a hand in this fight? Do you want to help conservatives on campus finally be in a position to stand up for themselves and win the battle of ideas? Well, if the answer to any of that is yes, you need to check out my friends at the Leadership Institute. They're the premier organization for educating and training conservative college students. They train so that people on campus know how to organize and defend their ideas against the radical left. Just go to TakeBackTheCampus.org and for as little as $5 a month, you can help conservative college students stand up to left-wing intimidation. Again, help the Leadership Institute help conservatism on campus. Go to TakeBackTheCampus.org. Again, TakeBackTheCampus.org and make an urgent gift to the Leadership Institute today.